As you're turning in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you look at the last section of this book, I want to thank you on behalf of Kim, Luke, John, Mark, and myself. We, this has been just a blast of a week. Uh, it's been a, a retreat for us. Uh, having the meals with you guys, having coffee with some of you, talking, interacting with you. I, uh, I am so blessed. I also want to say a public thank you again to uh, Eric, Brian, Liz, Kelly. Who else am I missing on the, on the staff? Who? Chad. You know, Chad and working tirelessly. And who? Nate. And yeah, it goes on. Uh, you guys are pretty special. And you deserve to sleep in at least once this week. So um, what you don't know is these guys are the last to go to bed and the first to get up. And Eric is so tired. He was calling me John MacArthur today, so I appreciated that. Um, And so with that authority, I gave him a raise. It was really good. Um, He appreciated that. I gave Rick Holland one too. It was great. I just passed him all around the staff. We come to the end of this book of Ecclesiastes, the final segment, which may be, in some sense, the most important. People are looking and starving for meaning in life. Options that they choose are things like this, science. Science has led to skepticism and more questions than answers. Pleasure, that's led to an endless cornucopia of entertainment and amusements that only make us want more and more and since less and less degrees of contentment. Materialistic things, which has led us to do almost anything to get the next thing we want, and then to continue wanting that until we want something else and get it and something else, and we're not sure what we really want next. Power, which has led us to use others as steps to be stepped upon to get to the top of our own personal pyramid. Education. You know, isn't it amazing that uh, resource we have in all the libraries at the universities and the high schools around our country? I mean, if all of the pearls of wisdom were really found in the libraries, wouldn't you expect a line all the way around the block to get in every day just to see what was in there? Philosophy. I was a philosophy major in college, which meant we studied a whole lot of nothing. Uh, took a special emphasis in um, um, Sartre and Kierkegaard and existentialism. And I learned that there are grandiose mysteries to be found in philosophy. This is my favorite quote from studying philosophy for four years. This is um, by Sartre. The abstract problem of reality. If it's permissible to treat this problem abstractly, the particular and the accidental being constituents of the real directly opposed to the abstraction, it's not nearly so difficult a problem as it is to raise and answer the question of what it means that this definite something is a reality. This definite something is just what the abstract thought abstracts from. But the difficulty lies in bringing this definite something and the ideality together in thought by penetrating the concrete particularity with the thought. Abstract thought cannot even take cognizance of this contradiction since the very process of the abstraction prevents the contradiction from arising. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) That whole paragraph was to say this. We're pretty sure that things exist. That's all it means. Took me four years to actually understand that paragraph. 
And then some people actually look into religion. But religion has led to superstition, rituals, wars. The history of the world is a series of chapters in the same book of people trying to make sense of a world that makes no sense. Life is hard. We bury our friends and family. We pursue pleasures that don't last. In fact, they don't last as long as our problems do. We get old ourselves. Things aren't always fair. Life sometimes seems to be angry at us. And we ask, is that all there really is? But God has given us some answers. Some sweet and pure and comforting answers to all of life's enigmas. And that answer is ultimately in His Son, Jesus Christ. Life will never make sense to you until you've embraced Him. Simple message of this sermon called Ecclesiastes can be summed up in two words. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Now, as we've been studying all week, there's some footnotes to that, but enjoy life. And the greatest way to enjoy life is to see it, savor it, enjoy it as a gift from God. Well, tonight we're going to wrap up our study of this great book of Ecclesiastes. It's going to be easy to do so because Solomon has done it for us in a neat little package beginning in chapter 12 from verses 9 to 14. Let me read that for us. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, that's Solomon himself, also sought, uh, taught the people knowledge, pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write pr- words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads. Masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. An excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Can I have an amen? Amen. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment... Everything which is hidden, whether good or whether it's evil. What is Solomon saying in this end of the book? He's giving us our final responses to living in the broken world we have. Very simple. Four of them. Four responses to living in a broken world. This is the last thing you need to get to tuck into your pillowcases as you have there. By the way, it's, it's awkward to preach when you guys are ready to leave on the buses, when most of you have pillows. It's not an encouraging thing when people come bring pillows to your sermon. Um, thanks for encouraging that, Eric. That's very, very dear to my heart. I'll get you back. You won't know when, but you will know why. The first response to a broken world is this. Listen to the right counsel. Listen to the right counsel. This is in verses 9 to 12. Let's look at this together. He says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. And also it's referencing the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote. 
Verse 10, he talks about delightful and truthful words. Words to bring joy. Words to bring insight. Then in verse 11, we meet some uh, illustrations. Goads. Nails. The word goad is a, um, is a stick that was used to prod cattle to keep, get, 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 get them going and, and keep them going. And nail is obviously to establish something, drive it in, and nail it down so it doesn't move. Motivation and an anchor. Motivation and an anchor. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes serves for you and me. It motivates us to live right, and it anchors us into living right. Verse 11 is a direct claim that this is God's word. He says these... uh, Words that he's spoken were given by one shepherd at the end of verse 11. One shepherd is referencing God himself. God wrote this book through Solomon. So what is he saying? He's saying, I've told you this. Now listen. Listen to Solomon. The thing I tell young people all the time is this. Dive into the book of Proverbs and into the book of Ecclesiastes. Make those your special books. You know why? They're written for you. Whose counselor do you listen to? Remember where we started back first night? I told you about Solomon. He experienced everything life had to give. It was like he went across that thin ice saying, I'm light enough. I'm fast enough. I'm clever enough. I can make it even though it looks shallow. Looks thin. Looks like I I could break through. Not me. I can make it. He used all of his wisdom, all of his might, all of his power, all of his resources. He is cruising across that lake and bam, falls through. Makes it to the other side, shivering. He looks at us. We're not even looking at thin ice. We're looking at ice already been broken by Solomon. And we're saying, I think I'm fast enough. In fact, I'm so quick, I can go right across those holes he fell in. I'm so fast. I can turn the light switch off and get in bed before the light goes out. I am good. Some of you just got that. Thank you very much. I am. I'm going to make it in a way that Solomon didn't. Okay. Have at it. Experience is the best teacher, but do you want it to be yours if it's bad experience? Whose counsel do you listen to? Will you listen to Solomon or do you listen to your friends? You know, some of us have good friends, biblical friends. We speak truth into each other's lives. But I have found in 26 years of student ministry this. That most high schoolers listen most to high schoolers. You know what one of the signs of maturity for you will be? Discipleship where you're submitting yourself to that small group leader, to someone to disciple you, where you're listening to God's counsel through God's word with God's mature people in your life. Number one practical application you ought to apply as you go home, discipleship. Put yourself under someone else. Put yourself in the wake of someone else. Go to your pastor tonight and say, I will not sleep until you put someone in my life who can disciple me. Can I say this? If your parents are Christians, you should say, in addition to my parents. You want to freak your parents out? 
If they love the Lord Jesus Christ, go home and say, Mom, Dad, would you just spend time with me every week? Can we just study the Word together? Would you disciple me and let me learn what, what you've learned and, and be like you? They're going to say, did they give you drugs at that camp? You better listen to the right counsel. If not, you're going to listen to the wrong counsel. Solomon's been telling us for 12 pounding chapters. You listen to the wrong counsel, you're going to be in trouble. Basically, there's three options, okay? Actually, there's a fourth, but I'll give you the three. The first option is you're going to listen to your friends. That could be good if they're godly. That could be really bad if they're not. The second option is you're going to listen to yourself. Intuition. Well, I think that's right. Well, I think that's wrong. I know the Bible says that, but hey, listen. The most dangerous word, listen, the most dangerous word to your spiritual life is the word but. I know the Bible says that, but. Except. But, but he, the Lord doesn't understand this. That's not really what he meant. So you can listen to your friends. You can listen to yourself. Here's the footnote. You can listen to Satan, but you know where Satan speaks mostly? In your friends and in your intuition. Or thirdly, you can listen to God. And God speaks loudest and clearest in his word, but he also uses and speaks through the church, through his spiritual leadership, through discipleship, through people applying God's word to you. I've had a chance to talk to Eric and the rest of the staff about the churches that all of you guys come from. You know what makes this camp unique is that we're united because you guys are in places where expository preaching is extolled. Where some man stands up every week and teaches you what God's word says. I am blown away and humbled. I just told Eric this yesterday that this is just, this is freaky. I was in a context recently in teaching a group of high schoolers, and it was miserable. People going to sleep, people getting up and leaving, talking, writing jokes, throwing things at people. Guys, I was working hard. In fact, I was preaching this exact same book, Ecclesiastes. And you know what I felt like? They didn't care. You know what I feel like here? You guys do. It's almost scary, the attention that you give to God's word. It's very, very humbling. And you need to feel honored that God has trained you through youth pastors, especially, who've taught you God's word every week. Listen to the right counsel. Ultimately, you know what that means? Read your Bible. There's no greater counsel than in God's word. That's what Solomon is saying here. Listen to this wisdom that's God's word. Let it anchor you. Let it motivate you. Specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, but generally in all of God's word. Now, what Bible reading plan do you use? If you can't answer that specifically, ask your parents, ask your youth pastor, what should I read? You know what I did for years? I'm going to confess as a youth pastor. I, I just said, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I never told anybody what to read or how to read or how much to read. Just figured they would figure it out. So you get these motivated students. They get home. Genesis. Wow. Adam, Eve, flood. Man, this is Egypt. This is getting exciting. Exodus. Man, I saw the movie. Leviticus. Ooh, that's pretty bloody. Then comes Numbers. And Numbers needs discipleship. Numbers is a great book. I love Numbers. 
If you don't know what to read, if you don't have a plan, talk to your youth pastor. They will give you one. Read the Bible more than anything else. We're in a culture that's just so many good Christian books. And keep reading the Christian books, but read your Bible more. And be discerning in when you read, what you read. Just because it's in print doesn't make it true. Listen to the right counsel, or you will by default listen to the wrong. Number two, second response to living in this broken world that Solomon sends us off with, fear the ultimate authority. Fear the ultimate authority. Verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Hebrew is sop dabar. Literally, the end of the matter, the final conclusion, the ending bell. Abrupt, brief, emphatic. This is it. Everything Solomon said comes right down to this razor edge. Fear God. It's not the first time we've been told to fear God in this book. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 12. All say, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God. And we talked about the fact that that means to hold God as the threat that He really is and to reverence and respect Him as that threat. To honor Him as God. Everything Solomon has taught in this book has pointed to the fear of God. Why? Because Solomon himself wrote in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It all starts with the fear of God. We have trivialized God so much. And God forgive us, especially in youth ministry. We've trivialized God to make him think that it's just kind of the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's the holy sovereign coming with his robe dipped in blood to judge the world. Fear the ultimate authority. Think about it. The freedom of a sovereign God, the limits of human wisdom, the use and abuse of wealth and power, the brevity of life, the certainty of death, all lead to the command and conclusion to fear God. You know why you don't fear God? Everyone look up. You know why you don't fear God? You don't know God. Because if you knew God, you'd be afraid of God. If God's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, God's here, God's there, then you don't know God. The more you know God, the more you have a holy fear of the threat that He is. Even when you're saved, even when you're covered by His blood, even when you're protected from His wrath, you still know He is capable of amazing and deadly things. How can you learn to fear God? I don't think it's by concentrating on being afraid. Just read your Bible. Look for God and you will find the fear. It's the beginning of knowledge. Meaning, when you see God in the Bible, your eyes begin to open, the scales fall off, and you begin to see who God is. Read the Bible searching for God. Not just searching for a lesson to live by every day. I confess, I did that for so many years. I want a little ditty I can live by, a verse I can write on my hand so I can be reminded of what to do, what not to do, how to live, how not to live. Now, 
The Bible wasn't given for the stories and for the morals. The Bible was given, get this, as the revelation of God. It tells us who God is, what God is like. The worst indictment God gave the people of Israel is in Psalm 50. You know what it was? He said this. You thought I... You, you thought I, God, I was like you. And if you don't let your mind be corrected by Holy Scripture, you will begin to invent a God like yourself. You know what the holiness of God means? Yes, he's morally perfect, but you know what it also means? Totally unique and totally different from us. Fear the ultimate authority. The way to do that, read your Bible. Are you developing a theme here? The right counsel, read your Bible. How to fear, read your Bible. Number three, obey the sovereign Lord. Obey the sovereign Lord. The conclusion when all has been heard is first, fear God. Secondly, keep His commandments. Obey the sovereign Lord. Obedience is the heart of loving God. It's the heart of serving God. Obedience is the heart of trusting God and worshiping God and submitting to God. It will do you no good. And you know what? My friend Chad would stand up on the stage and affirm what I'm about to tell you. It does you no good to come and sing with a full heart if you have sin in your life that you're not willing to give up to obey God. You know what God says about that? It's nauseating to him. God says it gets in my nose and it stinks. That's what he says. I don't want your expressions of worship unless I have your expression of obedience. Man, don't all of us come in with sin in our life, trying to worship, sing, and act a certain way when we know there's sin that needs to be repented of? You ever wonder why everyone around you kind of is warming up to these songs? You're going, gosh should warm and stir my heart, but it's not. You can't worship God unless you're obeying God because obedience is the heart of worship. Let me encourage you all, all of you to do something right now. I want you to, um, I don't know, is, is your sermon from Sunday night going to be posted on, on 180? Okay, they're going to post a sermon that Eric preached Sunday night uh, from 180. I want you to get download that sermon and I want you to listen to it. Because that's exactly what Eric preached on back at Grace Church on Sunday night in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Obedience is the heart of worship. You must know the commandments, however, in order to obey them. It's so funny. We had a friend from... uh, I'm sorry, Nikki and Becky, but I had a friend from New Zealand who came up one time, stayed with me for a while, and he said, hey, mate, let's go play some, some American football. Okay. So we got a group of guys up, and we were playing American football. I have never seen anybody make more of a fool of himself in, in my life. He was, he was having a blast. He'd seen it, and, and uh, he, he was confusing rugby and football and, and doing something. And like, stop. You just, stop. Stop. It's not going. Come here. You know, we'd all stop, and he'd pick up the ball and run. We're going, what is he doing? Hey, we don't stop in rugby, mate. We do in football, mate. Put the ball down, dude. He didn't know how to play football. You know why? He didn't know the rules. 
So many of you are trying to live Christianity and you don't have a clue what the rules are. You don't know what the Bible says. Well, I think it's just being a good person. So let me see. It'd be good. Uh, come here, little brother. Did you like that one, God? It was good. See that? I think it's good to do this. Therefore, God's pleased. If you don't know how to obey, it's because you don't know how, what the Bible says. Now, let me scare you just a little bit, okay? Okay, Rick. First John chapter 2. Just listen. Write this down so you can look at it later. First John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Listen very carefully. Everyone look up and listen piercingly. Ready? By this, we know we have come to know him. Stop right there. Let's diagram this. By this, what he's about to say, we know we have assurance that we've come to know him, that we're saved. Here's how you can be sure you're saved. Are you ready? If, circle it, if we keep his commandments. Wow. How can you know you're saved? By this, we know we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, but he goes on. The one who says, I, I know him, I, I, I know him, I've come to know him. But he does not keep his commandments. John says, the truth is not in him. He is a liar. But whoever keeps my word in him, the one who keeps his word, the love of God has truly been completed. By this we know that we are in him. Hey, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Whoever keeps his word literally abides in his word. Menno lives in his word. Saturated with his truth. How do you know you're saved? You have a love for the word. You want to read his word. You want to obey his word. Now, don't mix this up. Don't say, well, I want to be saved, so I'll read the Bible to get saved. No, no, no. It's those who are saved who want to read the Bible. Obey the sovereign Lord. Do you know that which you're supposed to obey? How about this? Are you postponing any area of obedience? My friend Jeff Dodge was a had an interesting encounter with Elizabeth Elliot. How many of you heard of Elizabeth Elliot? She was a wife of Jim Elliott, Alka Indians. Her husband was martyred. She stayed there and brought many people to Christ. Almost the whole tribe came to Christ. She was coming in for a women's conference, and Jeff and his wife went in to pick her up. It was like a lifelong dream to spend some time with Elizabeth Elliott. And so they got to chatting, and it was a very interesting chat. And Jeff tells the story so great. He says, and so I was telling her, I was asking her about some counsel for us girl that my wife and I were dealing with. And I said, da, 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 and she just continues to struggle with the sin. Da, 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 and she, he says, Elizabeth Ellis, stop me. Struggles with the sin? Struggle? Struggle? I don't understand struggle. But what I do understand is postponing obedience. Ouch. It's good to struggle because that means you're in the battle. It's bad to keep struggling over the same thing, which means you're not eventually obeying. Are we talking about being perfect here? No. 
John, in 1 John, it also says, the one who says he has no sin is a liar. We can't say we have no sin. We confess our sin. He's faithful, righteous. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it's hatred toward that sin. And what gives us the hatred is knowing what God hates, which means we get it from reading the Bible. Are you seeing a theme here? Number four. The last thing that Solomon says in this book. Number four. Remember the final judgment. Remember the final judgment. Verse 14. For God will bring... If you, if you underline things in your Bible, just to remind yourself, underline this word. God will bring every, every act to judgment. Another word. Everything which is hidden, whether it's good or whether it's evil. Here for the last time, we're escorted to the edge of the coffin to look in and see ourselves laying there. Our body on the earth, our soul at the judgment of God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ... That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or whether bad. Now notice in that verse, every act, that's everything that everyone knows. And then it says everything which is hidden. That's the stuff that no one knows about. The best, the absolute best remedy for a life of sin is a good, healthy dose of understanding God's omniscience and God's omnipresence. Every time we sin in thought or in deed, we are bringing that sin right into the throne room of God before God Almighty, Jesus Christ on His right hand and the angels all around us saying, Watch what I'm doing! And every time, every single time, Romans 8 tells us that Jesus Christ stays the Father's judgment and says, interceding for us, you don't need to judge that because I died for it. There is no greater motivation for me personally not to sin than to remember that my judgment was taken away because of His Son. Listen, fear, obey, remember. Who do you listen to? What are you afraid of? To what do you submit? And what occupies your thinking? You must direct this philosophy of life at God. Or you'll direct it towards someone else or towards something else. George Swinnick, Puritan writer, said this. Talking about Solomon. He said, men think that, men that are in the valley rather, think that if they were at the top of such a hill, they would touch the heavens. Men that are in the bottom of poverty or disgrace or pain think that 
They could get to such a top of a mountain and such measure of riches, honors, and delights. If they could really get there, they would reach happiness. Solomon got to the top of that hill. And turning around, seeing so many scrambling and laboring hard, trying to get up on this hill, riding on one another's necks, pressing another against one another, even to death, to get to the top, turns around and tells them all this. Sirs, you are all deceived in your expectations. I see the pains you take to get up to this place, thinking that when you get here, you'll touch the heavens, you'll reach happiness. But I am before you, standing on top of the hill. I have treasures, I have honors, I have pleasures in variety and in abundance. And yet, I find this hill so full of quagmires instead of delights, so far from giving me satisfaction, it causes me much pain. Therefore, be advised, spare your pains and spend your strength for that which will turn more to your own personal profit. For believe it, you do but work in this labor in vain because vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. As Solomon stands on the other side of that frozen lake with chills watching us about to step on the ice top of the hill seeing us climb in his dissatisfaction what are you going to do I hope you're going to live life to the glory of God I want to convict us all with one final quote from a godless pagan an author named Jack London now, what I want you to listen to when I tell you this, what Jack London wrote is this. This is an unbeliever who is trying to saturate life and live it to the fullest. My question is, why don't we live far deeper, far more committed and far better than this godless man? Listen to what he says. I would rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather... That my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than that it should be stifled out by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom in me magnificently glowing, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I will use and live them. He stole our thunder. We should be the ones saying we are going to live. We're going to live all out. We're going to live for the glory of God. We're going to enjoy his gifts and enjoy this planet and enjoy it inside the parameters that he set. And die and be with him forever. How do you want to live? Got a choice to make. Solomon's giving you the best of all options. My prayer is that you heed his counsel. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, even to, even to pray right now is a humbling experience for me to think of your 
infinite majesty and glory, your utter hatred towards sin, your gift of righteousness in the death of your son. It's just holy ground to come and speak to you. You've invited us saying that the the way has been made. There no longer remains a dividing wall between you and us. Father, teach these students to be alive. To be alive in Christ. To be alive in this world. To use and experience and enjoy the pleasures of this world all for your glory as a gift from you. And also to respond to the pain of this world as a gift from you to give you glory, to root out sin, and to remind us of eternity. Thank you for a wonderful book that you've given us in Ecclesiastes. Make it a magnet for our soul. Bring us back to it. It's hard, Lord, but it's worth the effort. Give these students a love for your word, a love for the Savior, and a love for each other, and a commitment to their local church so that Jesus Christ is seen in them and given glory forever and ever. Amen.